from the basement of Rubies on Summit, this is the Pros from Dover. A soccer podcast starring a couple of Nord expats proving once and for all that even though you've got cheap microphones and a pretty decent laptop, along with too much free time at a Coda Pass or two, podcasting may still not be for everyone. Hashtag your tweets with hashtag finest kind to join the conversation and bring back the bullpen car. Bananarama, Alabama, Hannah, Montana, Bandana Bandits, Extravaganza within Indiana. When Eric Vanna and Vanna had Fanny Packs in Savannah and had a fabulous nap in pajamas at the veranda. Banana, doo doo, bananas. I'm loving them. I'm sure Kapoor and Stefani both back me. Best flavor of runts and Laffy Taffy. Don't at me. All my fan from Santa Ana all the way to Atlanta. We're gonna quote Ralph Wiggum and go, go, banana. Banana Nana, put out your hands like patty cake yeah. And go bananas, we're gonna go banana cakes yeah. And grab a stack of flapjacks that your Nana makes Oh, we've gone banana cake, full on banana cake banana. Hello, this is the Pros from Dover And I am not Matt Goshard And we are not in the basement of Ruby Tuesdays We are actually uh, in a living room in uh, Columbus, Ohio uh, As you know, I am Jim Bach And I am joined today with my good friend David Staley who is a longtime Columbus Crew fan and who is the man who sits next to me at most Columbus Crew matches. So David, welcome. Um, the reason that Dave is here and not Matt is because Matt is on vacation and I'm taking care of his cats. <laughs> um, so just to introduce mine and Dave's relationship, we used to work together uh, at the Ohio State University. Dave still works there. And we discovered very early on that we were both Columbus Crew fans and so since 2005, yeah. we have gone to nearly every Columbus Crew match, at least home match, together. And we have never missed a home opener That's from right. 2005 till today. That's right. So I'm really happy to have Dave here. Uh, I thought we could maybe, you know, while Matt's gone, we could, you know, change things up a little bit. Maybe get a different perspective. And I thought that it'd be nice to hear uh, how Dave thinks about a few things. So, um, Dave, I guess... Like I, you know, said we've we've been going to matches since 2005. Um, could you talk a little bit about your relationship with the team and with Columbus soccer writ large before I met you? Wow. <clears throat> so um, uh, I've uh, so I was born and uh, raised uh, here, born in Columbus, raised just a little north of here, um, and so in the Central Ohio area, a good part of my life. And uh, I was, as, as I was um, preparing, thinking about uh, the podcast, I was thinking to myself, I have seen every professional Columbus soccer team with one exception. So that goes back to the days of the Columbus Magic. <laughs> we were in the American Soccer League for a season and a half. They folded halfway through their second season. That would have been... Uh, 
as people who have listened to this podcast, especially the last podcast, know um, I've been a sports fan for longer than almost everyone who has listened to this, <laughs> listening to this has been alive. And um, I've been a fan of almost all sports for almost all of my life. And I think that, Dave, I think that your background is very similar. You've talked to me about how uh, one of your fondest memories is watching hockey on TV with your dad. It's my first uh, memory as a, as, a, as a living human being. That's amazing. S- sitting on the couch, um, propped up on the couch watching hockey with my dad. It's the first <laughs> memory I have. <laughs> that's, that's great. Yeah. yeah. And watched football with my dad. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we watched all the sports. Oh, okay. Um, so... Um, I'm pretty sure that you were at the very first Columbus Crew match. I was. In 1996 at Ohio Stadium. I was living and working in Marietta, Ohio at that time. Okay. And in fact was involved in an academic conference that weekend. Oh. And um, gave a talk, gave a paper, hopped in my car, drove two and a half hours to make it to the stadium to see us beat uh, D.C. United. That's right. Stayed overnight and then got up very early the next day and drove back. (laughs) <laughs> to finish the conference. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Um, so, when d- during the during the Ohio Stadium years, mm-hmm. uh, because I know that you were, I don't know when you moved back to Columbus, but um, during those during those years, how often did you make it to the matches, and did you have did you go by yourself? Um, uh, not a season ticket holder. Went fairly frequently. Yeah. I won't say to every game, but to many games uh, in the Ohio Stadium days. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes by myself, usually with, uh, so Alex and I would have been married by then. Okay. So uh, we would both go sometimes. You have, by the way, just screwed up. Every- Everyone's, yes, <laughs> because I married an Alexa, yes. <laughs> Uh, by the way, she did some checking using census data. Yes. The year that she was born, and I don't know if I'll say the year she was born. You don't need to do that. Um, there were 85 people that year. The name Alexa. Of course, now everyone is named, uh, named yeah. Alexa, Alexa. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I would always sit in the north end. Uh, oh, because okay. Because you could get a seat for like 10 bucks. Right. And I would always show up, uh, I don't know. An hour before kickoff. Yeah. Usually, just because of who I am, I'd have a book. Of course. With yeah. me, I remember once I was uh, quizzed by that, by the yeah, uh, yeah. by the ticket ticket. You brought a book? And I said, it's an hour and a half before kickoff. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're supposed to get drunk now, son. <laughs> um, well, I'm that sort of nerd, I guess. So Yeah, so... Um, so the first season, I was not a season ticket holder either because you didn't need to be. And you know, I think we're, I think we're gonna. This is gonna be a, a trip down memory lane kind of <laughs> episode here on the on the pros from Dover. Um, but so I was married back then, and um, my ex-wife and I went to many of the matches in the first season, and we hardly paid for any of them because at the time, so. For Columbus, I don't know how many. This might be boring a lot of people who's listening to this, but I think that a lot of people don't don't remember this. When for Columbus to have gotten a team, we had to show the city, the team had to show that they had a certain number of season ticket holders. Right, it's a pretty high bar. Like yes, and to, ten thousand. And, and so to guarantee that, Kroger bought a huge. Were you aware of this? Kroger bought a huge number of season tickets. I was not aware of that. And if you shopped at Kroger and spent enough money, you got 
two tickets to the next crew game. Huh. And so we would just save up all of our grocery shopping, you know, for a few days before the next home game, and we'd spend, you know, a hundred bucks or whatever on groceries, and then we'd and so I don't know how many times I paid and actually paid for a ticket for the first season. So as you are aware, Jim, uh, I went through probably two, maybe three seasons where I paid, I didn't pay. Yes. Uh, and this, I was hoping we would get to that. <laughs> <laughs> so before we, before we moved into our, uh, our uh, urban villa here in, uh, in Westerville, uh, we lived in an apartment uh, on the uh, north side of Columbus. And uh, one day I was, I don't know, just walking to my car, I guess. You know, yeah, just, yeah. Uh, and um, I went back inside and I said to my wife, I said, I'm pretty certain that Jeff Cunningham just walked in to the apartment next door. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I, am, I am dead certain that is Jeff Cunningham. Mm-hmm. And it turns out it was Jeff Cunningham who was going <laughs> to my next door neighbor, Ansel Elcock, whom you mentioned in the last podcast. Yes, I did. You said he was an okay player or something like that. I mean, he was, he was our Best player, Jim. <laughs> he was a he was a very good player. Well, I found out he was my next door neighbor. Yes. And uh, when he found out what a uh, what a crew supporter I was, usually before he would leave for the stadium on game day, you know, like maybe three hours or so before the game, yeah, I'd get a knock on my door, and he would shove like four tickets in my hand. Yes. And so, for like I said, for about two or three seasons, I not only did I get into games for free, I sat with the wives and girlfriends. <laughs> Yes, that's that is fantastic. Um, well, I think if if you listen to the the whole last podcast, or I think it was that podcast or the one before, one of the things we talked about was how in those days, you know, a normal middle class guy like you or me, it wouldn't be unreasonable for us to make as much or close to as much as starting players oh, for yeah. the crew. That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. No, no, yeah. Ansel Alcock and I lived in the same neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's just that, and you know, I don't want to go down this road again because we talked about it last episode, but um, you know, it, that's something that I think younger listeners, more recent converts to the team, it's just like, um, and it, the, I'm not saying it's better or worse, but the dynamic of the relationship between the fans and the players has changed dramatically in the mm-hmm. last decade. Mm-hmm. I should also say the end of uh, one season, um, I had just come home from work or something like this, and Ansel was outside, uh, just come from practice or something, I don't know, um, called me over, opened up his gym bag, and uh, handed me one of his uh, one of his uh, game jerseys. Oh, yes, you Which have I that. have, and I occasionally wear it at games. You do, I, yes. It's, it's too hallowed, I think, to, to, to wear it otherwise. Well, you know, my ex-wife... Um, we're, we're flashing forward a little bit into um, uh, Historic Crew Stadium 1, or Historic Crew Stadium 2, as Matt likes to call it. Um, <laughs> but Ansel's cousin, Stern John, yeah. scored a goal, took his shirt off, and tossed it into the stands, and my ex-wife has that shirt. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's, kind of, that's kind of cool. It is, yeah. <laughs> so... Um, so you then went to the first game in um, in what what some people call Hunt Park. The very first game ever. Were you there? I was not. Okay. Okay. I, so I was still. Let's see. That would have been ninety nine. Why wasn't 90... I able to? I wasn't able to get a ticket. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't living in Marietta then. 
But I wasn't, uh, because the, the ticket sold out in 20 minutes and I wasn't able to get a ticket. So it's yeah. the only, it's the, well, I, it's the only home opener I've ever missed, although I wasn't at um, Lower.com this year when it opened. Oh, that's right. You we were coming back from vacation. Yeah, but that's not a home opener. Right. Yeah, it's a, it's a little But I missed, I did miss yeah. uh, the, the opening of uh, Lower.com. Yeah. Um, so, I... <laughs> You know, let's let's we don't have to talk too much about about Hunt Park or whatever. But one of my weirdest, fondest memories of that place was when it first opened um, in the spring of '99. So this would have had to have been '99 because I moved mm -hmm. from my apartment um, in um, in Linden in November '99. So it would have had to have been then. Um, but the U.S. I don't know if it was the under-17 or the under-19 team, but they were playing a match there. Landon Donovan was on this team, so we could probably date it by that, because I don't know how old Donovan is. So I lived about a mile from the place, and so I walked I walked down Hudson Street to the... to this, And halfway through my walk, this the skies opened, and it was a torrential rainstorm. And literally everything in my pockets got wet, including my ticket. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I think tickets for like an U19 game were like five bucks, so it wasn't that that wasn't that bad. Um, so I'm kind of out of questions about your your experiences, but uh, you want to tell us a little bit more about your experiences with Columbus soccer, not necessarily even crew soccer. Uh, yes, uh, before I do that, uh, for, for all the listeners, I have to say, this is just like before uh, a game. I will usually come by your place. We will be sitting out it is, really. on the porch, and Jim has made this really first-rate sweet potato vichyssoise, which I'm enjoying right now, uh, and also a sweet potato risotto, which is also really... No, it's, really... it's, it's, uh, it's squash. It's butternut squash. squash. Butternut squash risotto. <laughs> but this is... And, we, you know, we, we, got, we got a couple of beers going here. This is just like sitting out in uh, your porch uh, before the game. It really is. Except isn't... before the game, we usually talk more politics and economics and culture, I think. And yeah, we a little really... bit about football. Yeah, but... so... So, um, so one, of my, one of my favorite... Um, sort of routines that they, that Dave and I would have right after we started going to games together was um, we would, he would usually come by and pick me up, and I was living in, in, um, in uh, Wineland Park, Park at the time, and he would come and pick me up, and we would get to the stadium a little early, and this was before tailgating was a thing, mm -hmm. need to point that out. And so we would go into the big tent next to the stadium, That's right. get a beer, a Guinness or whatever. And at the time, uh, because not everybody had smartphones and all that sort of stuff, they gave you a lineup sheet before every game. And you'd also get this program that was really kind of a crappy program. But they'd give you a lineup sheet. And I, I have many fond memories of sitting in that tent, drinking a Guinness, looking at the lineup sheet and both of us just groaning at each other <laughs> because the the 2005 and 2006 seasons were not the most illustrious. Mm. Yeah, I, I want to say, I don't know if it was between 2005 and 2006 or 2006, 2007, but the team was so bad that they actually lowered the prices for season tickets the next year. <laughs> it was bad. I forgot the tent though. That's right. Yeah. And 
then, you know, in the middle of 2000, so by 2007, we had Siggy Schmidt as our coach. And halfway through 2007, we picked up this player from Argentina named Kiro Barros-Scoloto. And the trajectory of the team just, it was, it was like we were two different teams. Oh, this is how you're supposed to play this game. <laughs> yes. I get it now. <laughs> yes, I understand. And, and, and it wasn't just that we had the best player in the league. It's just that he made every other player on the team better. Which was uh, part of what made him such a great player. Yeah. He, he clearly improved the play of everybody around him. Right. And so I'm, I'm talking about this as sort of a segue. We sort of, from Scoloto on, we sort of have this tradition now of having an Argentinian. I know that Scoloto was number seven, but we have like an Argentinian quote unquote number 10. Mm-hmm. You know, we got, after Scoloto, we had Iguain. Mm-hmm. And after Iguain, we've now got Zellerayim. And um, so. We're going to take just a tiny break, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Pros from Dover. Sorry about that very abrupt uh, pause. Um, once again, um, my name is Jim Bach. Matt Goshert is not available right now, so we are joined by my friend Dave Staley. We were talking just rather freeform about the about the history of Columbus professional soccer. Not just the crew, but right. other teams that I've never seen. So I mentioned Columbus Magic. Yes, you did. Um, after that would have been an indoor soccer team called the Columbus Capitals. Wow. They were around for, oh gosh, two or three seasons. Um, and uh, they played in the American Indoor Soccer Association, which was a sort of a, a, a second tier behind uh, uh, the major the, indoor soccer league. Yeah, yeah. And mostly teams in the Midwest. But Columbus had a team... They played, uh, let's see, they played some games at the fairgrounds. Mm-hmm. I also remember going to games at uh, Battelle Hall. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it was, well, it was, you know, indoor soccer. And uh, <laughs> um, and uh, I think we're successful their first season and then maybe not so successful. In the, by successful on the field, on the court. Right. Um, Les Shirely, if you know that name. He's, I was, I was going to ask if there's any players that I would know or any listeners yeah, would know. Solomon Hilton. Okay. Uh, guys that uh, would be known, I think, around like, like youth soccer and those sorts of things around here. Uh, right. But, but, but no, no names, <laughs> no names that, uh, uh, beyond that. Um, and then so Garincha didn't retire. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then before the crew, there was a team, and I know you know this name. Yes, there was a team called the Zogs. Zogs. Yes, which was just bizarre. But I actually went to one of their games. They played at Dublin High School, and actually, I was kind of surprised the crowd. There's probably I don't know, probably about three thousand people. Yeah, sure. At Why this not? game, yeah, I think Matt Bernhardt, friend of the pod, Matt Bernhardt. I think that he has talked about the Zog some. That would I don't know if because he, he he came down from Akron to study at OSU, and so I don't know if there's any overlap or not. So this was in a league that is sort it was sort of the the, the forerunner of the uh, the USL the United Soccer League. Okay. The the the, the, the league the leagues uh, below MLS right now, but you know before MLS that was that was sort of our domestic outdoor league. Right. And it's been around since like the mid-90s. That's the thing about USL. It's been around in some form since the mid-90s. Yeah. It's kind of amazing. Yeah, it's, you know, it's it's one of those things that if you follow the sport, 
I was not much of a Soccer America reader. I was. I'm sure you were. Yeah, I sure was. Um, I think that I probably, where I was living at the time, didn't really get, I didn't have access to it too much. And so I think that's probably why. I was more of a sporting news kind of guy. <laughs> Because you like baseball. Well, because I like baseball, and because I, because all those box scores. I mean, uh -huh. just it was like it was like wall to wall box scores. It was like it was like reading the financial pages, like the New York Stock Exchange. Well, for a stats guy, that uh, yeah, exactly, that's, yeah, that's yeah, stats porn. Right. Uh, um, so, so there was one soccer team in Columbus that I never saw. Okay. And they're around the same time as the crew began. The oh. Columbus Invaders, mm -hmm. another indoor soccer team. They moved from Canton. The very successful Canton Invaders right. uh, moved to Columbus for, I believe, one season. One very, very forgettable season. Uh, they won only, like, literally a handful. I mean, by a handful, like, like three or four games. Okay. And uh, I don't know of anybody that went to the games. They played at Battelle Hall and... Um, Oh, so they were an indoor team. Another well. indoor team. <laughs> yeah. And by all accounts, uh, maybe would get 100 people a game sort of thing. Do you remember pre-WNBA, there was a different women's professional basketball league? Yes. Columbus had a team. Mm -hmm. uh, they played in Battelle Hall. I never got to go. I wanted to. Mm -hmm. And then the WNBA comes along and basically just wipes out that league. Mm -hmm. They just... just it's, it's like the giant concrete or, or stone foot in Monty Python and just like comes down and just squashes it. And I'm sitting here and I can't remember that, that team's name. I know. But I remember, I remember Katie Smith played for them. Yeah, so there's actually... A championship team. There's actually a couple of other semi-professional teams in Columbus. There's one, I don't... I assume they're still around. I know they were playing in Grandview. This is all pre uh, pre COVID, so it's like things are different. And then there's the women's team that plays at Otterbein. The Eagles. Yes, yes. Um, I've not gone to a game for either of them, and I feel a bit ashamed of that. We we will need to do that. We really do need we to do that. Need yeah. To do that. So, continuing to bounce around, one of the things that I talked about in the um, sort of messed up first segment that. You know, it's fine. Um, is and I don't want to criticize Iguain and I don't want to criticize Zella Ryan because they're they're both fine players in their own right. I would argue that neither of them make the team the players around them appreciably better. Not in the way that uh Shiloto did. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's yes. And and why do you think that is? Boy, that's a good question. Um, just, I think, the sort of the nature of the players they were. Shiloto, I mean, Shiloto scored goals, certainly. Yeah. But uh, as, uh, well, as the MLS Cup uh, championship demonstrated, he had he assisted all three goals. He assisted on every goal that we scored in the playoffs that yeah, season. <laughs> yeah, and that, that was the sort of player he was. Uh, what was the story that Jason Gary always told? Oh, that, yes. Uh, he, came off a, he came on as a, uh, as a sub. Yeah. And Shiloto um, and had said to him, you know, you run to that spot. I will get you the ball. Yes. And like, like, like a, he's on the field for a minute. Yeah. And he scored. And it was against New England, right? Uh, and because we only heard about this afterwards. But after the goal, he turns and he points to Iguain. And that was, again, that was the sort of the player he was. Exactly. I mean, it's more than just saying he was an assist guy. 
I mean, he 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 sort of directed. Yes. Yeah. Go here. Uh, you know, here's where you need to be. It was almost like it was almost like another coach on the field. Well, and so this is my this is my mini theory. Um, other than just his his personal characteristics, and I think that I think the thing about GBS is that his sheer force of will as a player was unmatched compared to any person I've seen, at least on a regular basis, up close. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's one thing. Um, I think that another reason is that Siggy Schmidt had a lot of confidence in him. Oh, well, yes. Yes. And as a corollary to that, Siggy Schmidt had a lot of confidence in himself. And unlike perhaps Greg Burhalter or Cole Cole Porter. (laughs) 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 Now I'm just imagining Caleb Porter as a member of the Whippin' Boots. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) End scene. (laughs) Um... I don't think necessarily that Burhalter nor Porter have that level of self-confidence of themselves as coach to, to relinquish that level of, of command of the play on the field. I just don't... Mm-hmm. I, 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 and I'm not saying it's good or I'm not saying it's bad. I just think it's a diff... I think that... I mean, Siggy's... After, after Bruce Arena, he's probably the most successful soccer coach this country's ever produced. Right. Yeah. Siggy? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Never coached the national team, which was which was a shame. It was I mean, a shame, he deserved, yeah. He deserved to have that. Yeah. Um, Chelsea just scored. Oh, have, okay. We have the Chelsea game on. Yes, so. yes. <laughs> we have the Aston Villa game on. Sorry. Yes, Aston Villa, Chelsea. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, well, at least they're keeping up with the, with the, the, the times. Um, there have been a lot of goals today. Yeah, today there have been a lot of goals. Ridiculous. Not that I got to see any of them. So, to take what you were just saying right there. So, Bearholter and Porter, do they have a player of the quality of a Shiloto that they could grant grant that kind of agency to? I don't know. I, re- I mean... The closest for me, and I'm obviously I'm biased here, uh, the closest for Porter would be Darlington to Nagby. It's exactly Nagby. that's exactly what I would, yes, um, and you know maybe this is the sort of thing that as this team evolves, I don't know how old Nagby is. I mean, he's thirty. I want to yeah, say. I want to say he's about thirty. Um, and Zella Ryan is close to that age. I want to say he's like twenty-eight or twenty-nine. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Again, we don't have Matt here, who's constantly on his phone looking up these stats <laughs> and quizzing me about the, you know, the the lowest scoring NBA game of all time. Did you Did you get that far in the podcast? I did. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's that's one of the things that that I wanted to talk with you about is, um, w- one of the things I wanted to talk about is. It's all very much up in the air about this, but it's looking very likely that, um, of course, you know, I was just thinking about him on the way over here, um, and now I'm forgetting his name, Milton Valenzuela. It's it's looking quite likely that he might sign for River Platte. And in, the, in a recent podcast, I think it was the most recent podcast, 
one of the things that I said about um, Pedro Santos and how I'm glad that we're keeping Santos, even though two years ago at this time I might not have felt that way, is that Santos, in addition to being quite a good winger, uh, and I think that he's really come into his own a little bit more with this team now that we've got Zellerayan, but Santos can cover uh, both at left back and right back. And he's he brings a different dimension to that position or those positions than someone who is a natural left back or right back. I mean, he's not Gino Pajula. We'll yeah. Say. yeah. Um, but I'm going to say that that maybe losing Valenzuela, who is undeniably a great player and, and could get much better because he's very young, I'm going to argue that maybe losing him is not as bad as a lot of people think about or think that it is. And not just because of Santos, just because he's so injury prone. Well, so the only uh, empirical evidence I have of this is that when Valenzuela was in the lineup, we just seemed to be winning games and doing better. Mm -hmm. And I think the only the only person in our roster that could um, have that sort of impact on left back on, on left back was Santos. Yeah. Uh, and you're right; he does bring a different dimension to it, uh, in part because I'm not certain he's sort of a natural defender. Oh, I don't think he is. But in Porter's system, the outside backs are inverted. Yes. And so in a way, it's it's more their attacking prowess. It's where they are in the opposing penalty right. area as they, were in the, as they are in their own penalty it's, area. It's like Liverpool, where they've got Trent Alexander-Arnold and uh, Andy Robertson. And one of the things that Liverpool is doing is they often become central midfielders pushing up and they don't overlap the front they underlap which is kind of an interesting thing and it's not something that Columbus is doing no. but <clears throat> when you got somebody with the command of the center of the field as Darlington Nagby does and when you've got someone who is as rock solid in the central defense as Jonathan Mensah you can afford to do that mm -hmm. um, hopefully Artur will come back <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> yes. I didn't really grasp how much, uh, uh, how, how good he was and how much we depended on him. Same with Aiden Morris, I think. Yeah, who, exactly. During the uh, MLS Cup game, demonstrated uh, his quality. I, I completely agree. And, you know, I have, especially since we've been doing this podcast, I've been thinking a little bit more, I've been, I've been less reactive in the way that I, think about the team, and I've been thinking a little bit more um, probingly, I suppose. And part of this is, and to go back to Scalotto and talk about Scalotto and Zellerine, and this is a point that I've made probably too many times on the podcast, but when we picked up Zellerine, because he had been injured a lot the season before he came. He was, you know, he was playing in Mexico and he'd been injured. And I don't think that a lot of people knew exactly what we were getting. And I think that a lot of people, and I certainly include myself in this, just out of sheer ignorance, was I thought we were getting Scalotto circa 2008. And we ended up getting Scalotto circa 2009. Hmm. And if, you, if, if, if that doesn't make sense to you, um, Scalotto was our assist leader in 2008, uh, although he didn't score a lot of 
goals necessarily. Alejandro, because we had a fairly balanced attack that season. Alejandro Moreno was our leading scorer. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's fairly well known in crew circles, especially people who were fans at the time, that for whatever reason, Siggy went to Scalotto in the off season and said, "I want you to score more goals," and that's what he did. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Oh well, but then. Well, it may not have been Siggy because I forgot Siggy left, and we've got we, it was Varzia. So maybe Varzia, it was Varzia's idea. I don't know. It must have been. Um, I forget that Siggy wasn't our coach in '09 for some reason, um, and we just certainly didn't score as many goals as a team in '09 compared to '08. And we did win the Supporter Shield, but um, not in the fashion that we did the previous season. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but. This is a really long-winded way of me saying that, so, although Porter played a 4-4-2 later on in the season, I think he did it despite me, because in one of our podcasts, <laughs> I said he would never do it. Um, well, and it's usually uh, based on substitutions. He didn't start with 4-4-2. He would end a game, maybe, with a 4 Right, right. But he's, usually because we were behind. Yeah, but he started with a 4-4-2 at least two games, I think, this past season. But... So, you know, we usually play with one up front, um, Zardes or Barry. And then you, Zellerian is that player behind the, you know, you can call him a second striker, you can call him a central attacking midfielder, you know. the Number 10. Yes, the Italians would call him a uh, mezzopunto. Or a trequartista. <laughs> they mean practically the same thing. But trequartista, he's like a three. He's three quarters of a forward, mm-hmm. sort of thing. Um, but because of our tour not being in the lineup, I feel as if Nagby is not being utilized to his full potential. I couldn't agree more. Yes, and I'm hoping that. Without getting too into the weeds about tactics and all that sort of stuff, we play some sort of a double pivot with Nagby and Artur as a pairing in central midfield, and you know, and I don't know exactly how that how we configure the rest of the attack around that, but Artur could conceivably stay back and allow Nagby a more of a free role. Which we didn't see enough of this season. No. It was pretty clear that... Um, it, I'm not certain it was... It, it couldn't have been Nagby's decision. He just <laughs> felt very constrained. Yes. And, of course, then we saw Nagby against uh, Cruz Azul. Yes. You know, we, we can see what he's capable of. We yes. Know he when he decides to push forward, uh, our attack all of a sudden just looks lethal. Yes. It's, it's almost like the way that Nagby has been playing because of a lack of a central midfield pairing for him that's adequate. Yes. That it's almost like a coach telling Steven Gerrard or Frank Lampard or Yaya Toure, stay back and play defensive midfield. And all three of those guys could excel at that. Yes. Absolutely. As Nagby but, does. Yes. But what, you know... What kind of system are you playing if you're if if Frank Lampard cannot roam row forward and and score? He was he was Chelsea's leading scorer on more than one occasion. Uh, we were really fortunate to uh, to get Liam Fraser on, yes uh, on loan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm really sorry to see him go back to Toronto. I mm-hmm. was, uh, 
But as, as we've been saying here, our tour is coming back, Nate Morris is coming back. He was going to find himself in a situation like he found himself in Toronto. Right. You know, um, but one of the things that always disappointed me, and you heard me say this during, during games, uh, and I, I'm convinced that Fraser was being coached, that, that this, this, these were tactical decisions. He very rarely passed the ball forward. Yeah. Every time he got the ball, it was always backward. And I'm convinced it, because he, it was because he was being coached to do this. Uh, because there were moments, and I can't point to specific games. I can sort of picture the goals. I couldn't tell you how they were against. I want to say one was against maybe Minnesota. Uh, his passes forward could actually be quite, quite incisive and quite intelligent. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was more than just simply sort of a, what we would call back in the day a stopper. He was yeah, more than just yeah. a defensive player. He actually had a lot of intelligence that I just don't think was, he wasn't given the, the, the reign to do this. And I think that explains in part because he was paired with, uh, with, with Nagby. I think that explains in part why Nagby just seemed, just seemed restrained this Con- season. Constrained. Constrained. Yes. yes, I think. And I think a lot of it is, and I'm not necessarily being critical of Porter. I mean, I have been critical of Porter a lot. Um, perhaps unfairly, maybe once or twice, possibly. I don't know. But... <laughs> um, <clears throat> Porter is a guy who likes to play. He likes to attack from the wings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And oh yeah. And that's. I'm not saying that's a bad system. It's a, it's a system. But it does seem to leave our central midfield sort of flailing without a sense of purpose. And I don't know if that could change with with more reinforce. I, I don't know what's what's going to happen. Um, so I think that I would like to wrap up this segment. Um, I'd like to come back. I'd like to talk about our hopes and dreams for next season a little bit more. <laughs> uh, and I also want to get, uh, because because Matt and I touched on this some, um, actually we talked about it for quite a while on the last podcast, but, but it's still an issue that I have, and I'd like to get your impressions uh, on the expansion of this league and how sustainable it is in the long term. I have thoughts. I thought you might, so that's why I wanted to bring it up. Okay, once again, we're the pros from Dover. We will see you in a little while. Hang on. Well, we're back. We're the pros from Dover. I am not Matt Goshert, and he is not Jim Bach. I am Jim Bach, and he is David Staley. And something that Dave and I were going to mention earlier on in this podcast, but I thought that I would at least try to remember it and bring it up now, is that Dave hosts his own podcast. Um, so we thought that we would sort of give it a little, you know, bump, push, whatever you call it. Um, although he's got probably like 100,000 times more listeners than we do. But anyway, uh, Dave, tell us a little bit about your podcast. I am host of Voices of Excellence in the Arts and Sciences, uh, where I have the privilege of uh, interviewing uh, my colleagues at Ohio State. Uh, in any given week, I could be interviewing a scientist, a uh, writer, uh, an historian, a philosopher, uh, and it's uh, one of the great uh, one of the great joys in my life. And apparently, you have much better technology than we do. Oh, uh, this is yeah, <laughs> well. The, uh, I don't always have the the luxury of uh, of uh, recording it in my living room, but that's okay. Right, right now, Dave and I are recording. Um, on a on a single microphone sat atop a cardboard box. That's right. <laughs> yes, but you know, I, I've mentioned this before. Anybody who wants to start a podcast, 
the Yeti Blue mic, the USB mic, they are fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know? Quite good. Yeah, and I don't get any money from Yeti. I just when <laughs> when I when I buy a product and I like it, I want to tell people about it because I want them. Here, here. I want the company to stay alive. Here, here. Okay, so um, this is going to be a third and, and probably final segment. Um, so before the break, I mentioned that I'd like to talk to you, talk with you a little bit about what your hopes and dreams are for the next season. Um, we haven't even really talked about the stadium, but I don't know that that's necessary too much. Um, but we talked a little bit at last last segment about uh, what we're going to do at left back, what we're going to do in central midfield. But there's a lot of other things that are up in the air uh, regarding the team and next season. Um, so I'm going to start out with a question, and then we can just sort of freeform and talk about it. Knowing what you know now, and opening day is like, yeah. <laughs> it's like day after tomorrow or something. Two months? It's about yeah. two months away. Yeah, I know. Um, who would who would be your starting center forward on opening day? Zardes or Barry? Zardes. Okay. Um, any reason why? Uh, his experience. Um, um all that guy does is score goals, uh, whatever you know, whatever level he's at. Uh, you yeah, know, I've become I'm I'm quite the fan of uh, of Jossie Zardes, uh, though boy Miguel Barry, uh, what a what a terrific season! We knew he could score goals. Yeah, yeah. We knew he could score goals for San Diego. We knew he could score goals in in the championship. Right. Uh, but um, um, just a just a tremendous season, um, and. Um, uh, no offense to Eric Hurtado, but who? <laughs> I know exactly. Yeah, um, I, the the problem for me, and I don't. Dis- I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just sort of because, you know, it's like I ask you this question. This is a question that I one of the few things that I was gonna knew I was gonna ask you before you know before the podcast started. Um, I don't have a good answer for for my own question and. Part of it goes back to what we were talking about in the previous segment. We don't know what our attack, like taking the attacking players, the, the central forward, and it, you know, and and I'm working from the assumption that 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 he's not going to play a four four two most of the time. And I, yeah. I, you know, we could talk about whether that's right or wrong. That's not the point. I just think that it's. I don't think he's going to play four four two. I think he's going to play you know four whatever, five one or, or the four two three one or whatever you call it. Yeah, um, and Barry and Zardes are different players, and we know this. Yes, they and much like how Kai Kamara differed from Ola Kamara differed from Jossie Zardes, and. It seems to me that one of the biggest problems that this team has had over the last half dozen years is a mismatch with the type of service our center forward gets versus the type of service our center forward needs. Deserves. Yes. Excellently put. And so that's why I don't, I'm still kind of working it out on my own. Like, which of the two. If everything is running the way we want it to, because we don't really know how we want it to run, because we don't know how 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 Cole Porter, how Caleb Porter wants it to run, um, 
so this is, you know, this is something that I'm working, uh, you know, obviously we are powerless in this situation. Porter is going to play whoever he wants, provided everybody's healthy. Um, I think he's probably going to go with Zardes. Uh, it wouldn't piss me off if he went with Barry, but I'd be a little surprised if he did. Uh, to me, a, uh, a bigger question is has to do, again, with formation. Yeah. Uh, because there were a couple of times this season where uh, they were both on the field at the same time. Yes. And if I remember correctly, a lot of those times, Barry was more of a winger, I want to say. <clears throat> I think so. And he's, uh, he, he, can, he can dribble the ball. Uh, that's something I didn't appreciate about him. Yeah, right. He can dribble the ball. He doesn't have a lot of change of direction, mm-hmm. uh, but he's actually uh, he actually has some speed and he can actually dribble. Yeah. The other thing, which um, you know, I harped on almost all last season, and I'd sort of completely forgotten about. How late into the season was it that Barry played a full ninety minutes? Oh, I. I mean, it was. Did he ever play a full ninety? He minutes? did eventually. Yeah, but it was is as you say, it was very very late. He was always on as a sub or 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 was subbed out in the 60th minute when he was mm-hmm. a starter, that sort of thing. Yeah, and never understood it. Well, and that's the thing. I don't. I don't think it's a fitness thing. I don't. I don't really know. And we never got any like. It doesn't seem like any of the reporters ever asked that question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or if they did, I never saw it. I, I you know, yeah. um, so. Another thing that I wanted to ask you about and talk with you about is what do you think are our biggest, the biggest holes we have in the lineup as, as, the, as the roster stands now? Because to me it seems like we have, we have more holes than not, and I'm very troubled with that. Um, so for me... The holes have to do with um, sort of the substitutes. In other words, sort of the second tier. In other words, when I look at our starting eleven, uh, I don't think in terms of holes. It's okay. It's it's it's. So, for instance, uh, outside now of Stephen Morera, for instance, who do we have at right back? Exactly. Yeah. So Morera is, uh, and, and I'm a Harrison Awful fan, and I'm delighted to see he ended up in Charlotte. That's yeah, great. Yeah, that's great. Uh, but Morera, I think, is, is, is an upgrade. He is in a number of, well, yes. in, a, in a couple of ways. Awful is too small to be that slow now, and he's too slow to be that small. It, yes. And that's a function of age. Yes, and it's strictly that. Yeah. Uh, he, he was not as... Uh, um, Aggressive going forward. We know what, in the past, we know what Awful is capable of. Yeah. There's a penalty for Chelsea Lee. Um, so after Morera, who is our right back? Yeah. Uh, and I think about that only in the sense that, um, I think whatever level, uh, the best teams um, have depth everywhere. Yeah. Um, you know, for, for, for you know, a variety of competitions, for... Uh, and we have depth in other. We have depth, I think, in other positions, um, but um, but both left and right back. Yeah, I'm a little concerned about uh, where, what our depth looks like there. And I'm going to say that we're. I think we're lacking depth in central defense too. If if our best partner for Mensa is Josh Williams, not a Josh Williams fan, huh? 
I, I'm not a huge Josh Williams fan. I, I think he's a. I think the, the he's Twitterverse a, is going to explode. I know. I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm hanging. I'm dangling. Fresh. That's that is red meat. <laughs> it certainly is. Yes. I, this is a topic that maybe maybe you and I could discuss on a later podcast at some point. I know Matt would like to get in on this. I certainly know that Chris Lamacchio would love to get in on this. Um, I think that a lot of the I think that a lot of the fandom around Josh Williams um, harkens back to the days when fans felt like they had a personal connection to players because the players were either locals or they you know interacted with the fans in some way that sort of thing and it's no longer that sort of league and I think that we need to get a I. If I never ran into Darlington Nagby at the grocery store, I'd be fine with it. When I would run into uh, Frankie Hayduck at Barley's downtown, I was elated. But it's not that kind of league anymore. And Frankie's a special case anyway. He sure is. <laughs> He's, <a spare>. <laughs> <laughs> He's some kind of case, that's for damn sure. Um, but yeah, I, I think that we're lacking. We're certainly lacking in depth, both in starters or subs for. Um, um, oh, Lukaku's playing. I didn't realize he was playing. Sorry, I'm interrupting myself here. Yeah. But um, I, I think we we have problems at center back. I don't. Again, assuming Artur is coming back healthy and, and strong, I don't know that we're going to have a whole lot of problems in central midfield. No. Um, we're keeping Derek Etienne, and I'm of two minds about that. Um, I, he really just—he's not—he's got a lot of skill. A lot. I don't think he has a great footballing brain. Um, that's where I'm going to go with that. I don't really know, you know, where to go. Um, yeah. I think that we have, by and large, a decent spine. Like we're we're strong. You know, Room is a good goalkeeper. He's not. He's by far the from, far from the best goalkeeper this team has had. But he's adequate. Right. He's he's more than adequate. Yeah. Um, if we can make it to an MLS Cup final with Steve Clark, we can make it to an MLS <laughs> Cup final with Elor Room. <laughs> um, and Houston are hoping that's the case. Yes, I know. Um, so, you know, we, we have one excellent central defender and we could potentially pick up another one. Obviously, as a center of midfield, we're fine. Zella Ryan is one of the best um, number 10s in the league. He's, he's not a distributor in the way that some of them are, but whatever. Um, and then we've got two good choices, as we were just talking about, two good choices at center forward. Mm -hmm. So... Our spine is not bad. Mm -hmm. You know, it's probably better than most teams in this league. It's it's the wings. It's it's the it's the outside backs and the outside midfielders that we really, which uh, is so vital to Porter's. I know, system. and that's what worries me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so, you know, we'll know more about this when we start picking up players. Um, but right now. It's all to play for in terms of the transfers, I think. Okay, so um, you mentioned that uh, Harrison Awful 
a longtime servant of the team, apparently a really great guy too. Yep. Um, is now going to play for Charlotte, mm-hmm. an expansion team. Mm-hmm. Um, has there been a season since the league? Con- okay, since the expansion after that initial contraction in like around two thousand. Um, has there been a season where this league did not expand? I know that uh, recently it's been uh, it's been one a year it seems at least and and rumors uh, from war and I know you discussed this on your last uh, yeah yeah your last episode and I actually it was sort of giving this some thought because you were asking um, has any other league it's, sort of done something like this the closest I could think of was the NHL in the nineteen nineties yeah which went through they did all the expansion. Right, uh, and I and and so it was. Uh, can I do it quickly? San Jose in nineteen ninety one. Yes. Ninety two was Ottawa and Tampa Bay. Ninety three was Florida and uh, Anaheim. Ninety eight was Nashville. Uh, Ninety nine was uh, Atlanta, who subsequently yeah. moved. And then two thousand was Columbus and Minnesota. Right. And since two thousand, they've added uh, two more teams. That's the closest I could think of to uh, what uh, MLS has done. Yeah. And so, okay, and so this is, okay, granted, MLS started out as a very small league. You know, we started out with, what, 12 teams? 10. 10? Oh, I thought it was, okay, then we expanded to 12, and then we contracted back to 10. Mm -hmm. That's right. Okay. Um, So, you know, some level of expansion would be necessary should the league prove popular enough? Mm-hmm. I mean, so it's it's sort of like if you ever played Sim City, okay. something that I learned about about the way organizations in a city is in, in its own way an organization. Um, stability is almost impossible. You either grow or you shrink and die. That's you know, and and preventing the latter and being able to control the former is really what every organization or every system needs to be able to do. And for MLS to be successful, there was no way that it was going to be ultimately successful with 12 teams. That's just too niche. So expansion in and of itself is not a problem. The biggest difference between... So what I'm getting to is the biggest difference between the expansion of, of MLS and the expansion of most of these other leagues or the movement of teams, like, you know, in the last episode... Um, Matt and I talked about how, you know, the Dodgers and the Giants moved to the West Coast, um, the A's moved to the West Coast. Because these teams, or because these leagues had existed much longer, almost all expansion was the result of demographic changes and shifts in the population. That's right. So, in the 90s, the reason the NHL expanded is because... Um, the the NHL didn't exist in the Sun Belt. I mean, for for logical reasons, you know, um, Phoenix is not going to have an NHL team in 1955. Right. Um, MLS is not expanding in that way. So, um, and, and this is uh, based off of what you just said, and partly what 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 you guys were talking about in the last episode. Garber or MLS has an eye towards something else, and it's the major league part. Yeah. So in the year 2021, the major leagues have at least 30 teams, 30 cities. Yeah. 
uh, and MLS wasn't there. M- MLS is aiming for 30 teams, just like NHL, 32 teams, just yeah. like the NFL, 32 teams, NBA, uh, Major League Baseball. If you're going to be a major league, you have to have that many. And even having 20 teams uh, yeah. doesn't make one a major league. Yeah. And I think that there's a, certainly an eye toward that. If we aren't already, um, uh, we soon will be. Major League Soccer is the largest top flight soccer league in the world, I think. It largest number of teams. It wouldn't surprise me. I, oh, so, I don't understand how Brazilian football works. <laughs> there's, there's like, you know, there's like a South to... Two state leagues, I think. Yes, right? but then is there, you know, is there no national? I, you know, if if I cared enough about it, I just know that oh, well, Corinthians is playing Palmeiras, and that's probably going to be a good game. Yeah, and right. whether the, the ramification, it was like okay, it was like two, three games ago, uh, the Cleveland Browns. Apparently, I'm if not a fan of the Cleveland Browns, I follow them, which is just weird. Um, they were playing a game that if they won, they were first in the AFC North, and if they lost, they were last in the AFC North. So it's been very tight. This it's season. been very clearly. It's been very tight. I don't. I don't care if Corinthians winning against Palmeiras means that Palmeiras is denied the championship. I don't care. It's like, do I, I want to watch a good game? Because I don't follow these leagues really. But okay, so MLS is quite probably um, wow. Thomas Frank, who is the Brentford head coach, looks like he's the former bassist from like I don't know Iron Maiden. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite a look you got there, dude. Um, anyway, um, so go you bees. Exactly. Sorry. Yes. You know, a little, a little. Um, Shout out to Brentford. They're, they've got a new stadium this season. They also have the lowest... We've established this in a previous podcast. They have the lowest payroll. Um, there are teams in MLS who have a higher payroll than Brentford. <laughs> but it's a little tragic that Brentford, their old stadium, there was a pub at every corner. Yeah, I know. I know. Okay, to get back to my... So, Dave, who you know probably should be hosting this because he's actually focusing on the topic at hand, uh, just mentioned that MLS is possibly quite probably the largest top division league in the world. And so as as a fan and a resident of an original city's team, it's very easy for me to say no more expansion. You know, it's very easy for me to say that we could have stopped and should have stopped at 20. And... Um, and there's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, one of which is, although I don't have any great desire to see Vancouver play in front of me necessarily, not to slam Vancouver, it just they just seem to be the most. You're gonna have the chance on February 26. Exactly. <laughs> it just it seems like like I think that you know we have joked that we've probably seen Saprissa play live more than we've seen Vancouver play live, <laughs> and I would hate for this league to be so large that we didn't play every single team at least every other season. And I don't know that that's possible anymore. Yeah, I don't see how that's yeah. how that's possible. 
You know, and I know not on not on Mike, but I know you and I have talked before about the fact that one big difference between football in this country and football in England, for instance, is that this country is just simply bigger. Oh, it's just huge. Yeah. It's just huge. Yeah, and this is this is something that I think Stephen Gerrard marveled at. You know, yes. like you know that sort of thing, and it's true. It's absolutely true. And so, part of me recognizes the fact that. That that the sport that soccer is popular enough in this country now that there are municipalities that deserve a team just as much as Columbus does, mm-hmm. just as much as Denver does. Mm-hmm. You know, one completely unserved community and one of the most important cities in the history of the sport in this country is St. Louis. That's right. Yes. Historically, a hotbed. Yes. For American soccer. American soccer. Amer- quality American. Players. Yes, because. For one reason, and if you didn't really know this, there was a huge Italian-American community in St. Louis. I mean, the the baseball legend Joe Garagiola was one of these guys, and he grew up around, like, half the players who played, I think, in the 1950 World Cup. You know, because half those players came from St. Louis, the other half came from Kearney, New Jersey, and then, then there was the guy from Haiti. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and... and this is who beat England exactly yes, <laughs> but you know why you know St. Louis is not exactly a, 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 a I want to say that compared to like I don't know Phoenix or Houston or whatever I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to rag on on St. Louis but St. Louis does not have the prominence in American culture and society that it did a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. That said, St. Louis deserves an MLS team. Sure. Yeah. I wouldn't disagree. Right. Um, Charlotte, certainly, you know, that, before Atlanta came into the league, that whole area of the country was not even ill-served. It was not served. Um, And along the, the, the southeastern seaboard from Savannah up to, you know, we'll say Hampton Roads area. That is a hotbed of college soccer. Mm-hmm. You know, Wake Forest, that team in North Carolina, that school in North Carolina that I don't mention its name. Yes. You know, all these teams, Virginia, um, you know, and the closest they had was basically D.C. and then Atlanta. Mm-hmm. So why shouldn't Charlotte? Charlotte absolutely deserves a team. And I don't have a problem with that. My problem is, where does it stop? When does it stop? Uh, with Las Vegas, apparently. Okay. So at MLS Cup, Don Garber was all but saying that Las Vegas is is next. Okay, but yes. then what's after that? Well, and in part because well, I, I don't I don't know what the strategy is. Well, that's not true. The strategy is to get to thirty teams. Okay. And then we'll sort of see where things go. Well, so there are a lot of people, myself included, who basically see a lot of this, a lot of the impetus for this is that the league gets through expansion fees it's like what's keeping the league alive it's it like is. you know and but that leads to the criticism that the league is basically a giant ponzi scheme <laughs> and for someone who doesn't have any kind of vested interest in this league being popular or successful or or whatever it's very difficult to make a convincing argument that that might not be true And if that is true, then the league either continues to expand or it dies. 
I, so here comes 40 MLS teams. I mean... <laughs> well, uh, I don't know how closely you follow the uh, the championship, the USL championship. I don't, I don't know if I'm going to get the... I could, I could be mad and look this up, but I'm pretty certain there are 34 teams yeah. in the championship. It's yeah. actually larger than MLS. Well, and, and the, we're not even talking about League One and League Two. Right. Well, and the, okay, so the the owners, or I'm sorry, the investor operators would probably never go for it. Um, but you know, one solution to this problem would be a League One and a League Two. That would that would be a solution. Um, at the size of the league as it is right now, I think that we're okay. If it gets much bigger past 32 teams, I don't think we're going to be okay. Um, I, you would have to tell me how many teams there are in the league before I could tell you what those teams were. You know? <laughs> it's, it, it's gotten to that point. So I know that there is a... Um, um... Sort of an expanded uh, Campeones Cup, right? We're supposed yeah. to play a, yeah. a, a, a a bigger sort of tournament between MLS and uh, and and uh, the Mexican League. Right. What are the prospects or the possibilities of a um, of a sort of an MLS USL Championship League One League Two sort of uh, Carabao Cup or something like that? What do you think the prospects of something like that looks like? Another domestic trophy interesting um i've not thought about this it's probably probably not bad um would would columbus crew 2 get in on this would our reserve team um so not as i just proposed it because that so mls is sort of creating its own sort of g league i yeah. guess uh, so this was uh, what I'm imagining here is the the four leagues MLS, USL Championship, Championship, League One, League Two, right. play a play a domestic cup. I don't know. It's an interesting. It's an interesting concept. My understanding yeah. is that USL is has decided or is close to deciding on promotion and relegation that there is going to be a system like that. Well, if they got 34 teams, it's not a bad idea. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and again, it's a big country. There's a lot of people in this country. So, um, I think we're going to probably have to sign off here in a few minutes. But but several years ago, back when, uh, um, oh boy, I'm blanking on his name, Mark McCullers was yeah. the president slash GM of the team or something like that. I sent him a, uh, uh, he actually, I, I sent him an email that he was, I don't want to say impressed enough with, but he was intrigued enough with that he actually had me, I went to his office and we discussed this. You had an audience? I had an audience with Mark McCullers, yeah. <laughs> I gave him a talking to as well. <laughs> of course you did. Um, yes. But at the time, and things are very different economically in this league now. And I, I want to point that out. You know, the, the level of play is much better. The quality of players, and this is something that I talked about either last time or the time before, is that most of our quality players are not 30-somethings from Europe. You know, that's we have some of those. You know, and, and potentially Luis Suarez is going to come and play from, from Miami. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then apparently um, 
his good buddy Lionel Messi might come and play for Miami as well. I don't know. I don't care. That's, you know, um, it would be interesting to see a 38-year-old Lionel Messi lace them up at, uh, at um, whatever we're going to be calling lower.com field at the time. That would be interesting, you know. Um, I got to see... Uh, Andrea Pirlo play, and boy, I was underwhelmed. <laughs> I'm like, that's Andrea Pirlo. He's one of the greatest players of all time. And then I promptly forgot that he was on the field, you know. Um, okay. The reason I wrote McCullers at the time was because I was growing increasingly concerned that with more teams, the player pool was being watered down. And it was retarding. Like, for years, the level of play in the league got better every year. And then that stagnated. And I think that that stagnation was 100% due to the, the expansion. That, that there just weren't enough good players to go around at the price points we were paying them. And I'm wondering if that's going to happen again, if we're going to get a second wave of that. Mm-hmm. Because it seems, it seems counterproductive to what the league wants. No, I think that's, I think that's, I think that's reasonable. Yeah. Uh, a lot of it, I think, has to do with uh, where teams will be permitted to uh, to pick up players. Yes. Uh, if there are, you know, restrictions, are you know, you have to have you know this many Americans, let's say, or something. Like yeah, that, yeah. That that could have a diluting effect. Yes. And I say that in part because of seeing the the the, I don't want to call it a gulf, but maybe it is a gulf. Between MLS and the USL Championship, just to sort of take that case, right? Um, even even the best even the best team in the USL, I don't think, competes on a on a day to day basis with with an ML, with MLS team. No, there's no way. But there was certainly a time in this league where the Rochester Rhinos could have just we could have just made them an MLS yes. team and they could have competed. Yes, yes. I'm not certain that's the case. Oh, I don't think it's the case at all anymore. And, you know, this goes back to the fact that we are no longer paying younger players so little that they're having to sleep three to a room in somebody's basement, you know. Um, Stern John, if he were 28 (laughs) or 29 years old now, would not be paid less than I am paid. Yes. (laughs) You know, that sort of thing. Okay. Well, I think it's about time for us to wrap up. This, This segment's actually gone on quite a while. It's been a pleasure, Dave. Um, I hope that we can have you back in some capacity on this podcast. I it's, would love that. It's yes. really been wonderful. Um, I'm not really... Okay, we're recording this, as you probably would have noticed. We're recording this on Boxing Day, um, December 26th. I'm not quite sure when it's going to go up. Um, I will be posting about this on the Twitters. Um, it might go up next week. It might go up in the next day or two. Um, again, Matt is gone. He's out of town for the next week or so. I might do another podcast. I don't know. Um, we'll see. You know, it's the off season, but what the hell? There's still plenty of stuff to talk about. Um, I've been, I've been furiously reading some more books so that I can talk about those. And boy, oh boy, I'm reading this book about Josie Mourinho that it's like Kitty Kelly wrote it. <laughs> it is it is marvelous. I don't believe a word of it, but boy, oh boy, is it a lot of fun. <laughs> All right, well, this is the Pros from Dover. Thanks for listening. I'm Jim Bach. Across from me is David Staley. Talk with you later. Bye-bye.
The pros from Dover are Matt Goshert and Jim Bach. The show is presented by Grotesquely Swollen Jaw Productions. Follow us on Twitter at prosfromdover96. If you like the show, tell a friend or write a review. If you didn't, well, no one cares about your opinion anyway. Intro and outro music is Banana Cake by Schaefer the Dark Lord and is used with permission. Check him out at Schaefer the Dark Lord. That's S-C-H-A-F-F-E-R, thedarklord.com. Questions, comments, or thoughts? Email the show at prosfromdover96 at gmail.com. Banana, nana, put out your hands like patty cake. And go bananas, we're gonna go banana cakes. And grab a stack of flapjacks that your nana makes. Oh, we got banana cake, full on banana cake. Banana, nana, put out your hands like patty cake. And go bananas, we're gonna go banana cakes. And grab a stack of flapjacks that your nana makes. Oops, I've got banana cake, full on banana cake. Banana, nana, nana, nana.